0: Welcome to the aggressive life. Do you like the Home Depot? Come on. Big orange store with all kinds of cool manly stuff inside of it. Of course you do. It's one of the most beloved and revered brands in America. Today, we're going to talk to the man responsible for the rebirth of the big orange, as it's known. In 2007, when Frank... Blake became the CEO of The Home Depot. The company's stock price was stagnant, customer service was poor, and it was being outpaced in nearly every metric by its competitors. Uh, Mr. Blake's predecessor had led the company in a purely numbers-based fashion, but Blake came into leadership taking a personal approach. The Home Depot was founded on customer service, and that's what he believed would bring it back to life. His strategy sounds like Old-school, fuddy-duddy things that are idealistic values, but it actually is something he worked. A culture of service, he worked it. Investing in employee morale, he worked it. Engaging in employees or slash associates, he worked it. And he measured success by more than just sales charts. And it worked. His leadership, his value system, his optimism it breathed new life into the failing brand. And since then, the Home Depot has been the world's largest home improvement Retailer. It's got something like 500,000, as they call them, 500,000 orange blooded associates and 2,300 stores in North America. All this. A man who never planned to be CEO. It's the Aggressive Life. You think someone wanted to aggressively be a CEO? I'm going to dig into that with him today. Frank has uh, retired from Home Depot as chairman in 2015. Since then, he's taken up podcasting. He's investing heavily in nonprofits. He sits on the board of Procter & Gamble, also known as PNG. He's a natural leader. Welcome to The Aggressive Life, Frank Blake.
1: <laughs> Brian, it's a privilege to uh, join you on this podcast. Well, thanks for coming. Thank you for that introduction. That was outstanding.
0: Well, was anything untrue in the in that introduction? I might have been overstated. No, but, not true. <laughs> but not thank true. you very much, Frank. you got one of those unbelievable manly man names, like Frank. Blake. I got a buddy of mine has been on the aggressive light before. His name is Nick Spiker. Every time I see him, like Nick Spiker. Frank Blake is like man. That is a manly man name. That's uh, you got to love that name. That's that that, Brian Tome. Who is he?
1: Frank Blake.
0: That's a name.
1: That's easy to remember.
0: So tell us about just your journey into Home Depot. A lot of us love Home Depot. I love Home Depot. I've got Home Depot right beside Lowe's where I live, and Lowe's blows. We won't mention them. No, I I'll mention them. Lowe's blows. I don't uh, Lowe's is I don't know. It's just from day one, I don't know what it is. It's just too uh and, and many of our aggressive life listeners work at Lowe's. God bless Lowe's. God loves Lowe's. God loves employees at Lowe's. I'm just saying for the customer experience, I don't know, it's just too clean for me. It's too I don't know. I, I just like the rough concrete floor. I like orange versus White, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but anyway. So I always choose Home Depot. Home Depot seems seem to have always had the supplies I need more so than Lowe's. Like for the nitty gritty projects, I mean anybody can go, sell you a dishwasher or a two by four, but some of the more nitty gritty things I need as a DIYer, Home Depot is just more likely to have it. So what, what do you, what's the secret behind why so many folks like Home Depot? It's it's kind of taken off from all it's all the other pack.
1: So. One thing is, Home Depot has a great uh, founding story. It was founded not that long ago, 1978, uh, by two people, uh, Bernie Marcus and Arthur Blank, and then their financer, uh, Ken Langone. And Bernie and Arthur had just been fired from a home improvement company out in California called Handy Dan. And after being fired, Ken's response was, uh, you just got kicked in the ass by a golden horseshoe. Hmm. Let's go start your own business. And he did. And they started a business that right from the start was focused on everyday low pricing, taking care of customers, and really having expert assistance in the aisles of the stores. And as you say, not, not a lot of fancy fixtures in the store. Things are just set out on as they come in. And- it's been a great, great ride for the company uh, ever since, you know, it's not even 50 years old.
0: Home Depot started losing its way a little bit, or at least was losing traction on stock price when, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? The guy who was supposed to be Jack Welsh's successor, Nardini? Nardelli. Oh, Nardelli. I want to say Nardini. Yeah,
1: Nardelli. Yep. Yeah. No, I had worked for Bob at uh, at GE. Before coming to Home Depot, I'd spent a decade at GE, and uh, I did uh, M&A work, mergers and acquisitions for GE, ending up reporting to Welch. And then when Jack left GE, I left and eventually ended up at Home Depot doing the same thing for Bob at uh, Home Depot. And it was very much a clash of cultures between the GE culture and the Home Depot culture. I think that was one of the things that was difficult for my predecessor.
0: So is it that Bob was able to break down some barriers at Home Depot? He was the bad guy. And then you came in, you kept kept it going in a similar direction or did you totally change direction from where Bob was going?
1: A lot of it, Brian, was going back to the concepts that the founders had. Uh, the most basic of which was focus on taking care of your employees. We call them associates. So the saying in the company was take care of your associates, take care of your customers and everything else takes care of itself. And that's, and that was not so true at GE. That really wasn't the culture so much at GE. And it was very much a cultural um, hallmark of Home Depot.
0: You talked about going back to the vision of the founder. The That's probably the most impactful business book I read over the last couple of years is, uh, Oh gosh, I can't remember the name of it because I read on Kindle, so I don't see the cover every time I read. The founders, the founders' mentality. Yes, that's it. The founders' mentality. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. Man, yeah. I
0: found that was good. What... Chris
1: Zook, great book. It's yeah, a terrific book. And so a you, very smart man.
0: You said the guy who started this, he's got the secret, or the people who did. Let's get back to there right. and do that versus doing our yeah. new no
1: iteration. Yeah, that's it.
0: I I've I've wondered to talk to somebody who reported to Jack Welsh... He obviously was a, was an icon in his time, if not a God in his time, as far as business success, just brought in so many ideas that were unique. Like if your business isn't in the first or second category, then sell it, get rid of it. Having, you know, intensive leadership training, developing people up from the inside, just a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of things. And then of course, GE hasn't ended very well or has not gone well now and hasn't gone all that well since he left. What what do you think his legacy is? Is his legacy, he squeezed the juice out of some systems and gave it over to somebody who had no more juice inside of the organism organization, or did the culture of America change or what's, I mean, he's gone now. So maybe you can give us the real skinny. (laughs) What's, what's your take on all that?
1: I'm a huge fan of Jack Welch's. I I won't comment on what happened at GE after Jack. but I think, I think he's one of the greatest business leaders of our time. And I give a simple example. When he took over GE in 1980, GE and Westinghouse were effectively the same size. One was in Connecticut. The other was in Pittsburgh. But they were the same business and the same business lines. You go forward 20 years to 2000 when Jack left GE. GE was the largest market cap highest valued company in the world, in the world, and Westinghouse was bankrupt. And that shows the difference in leadership. Jack was a very uh, demanding person to work for when I became CEO of Home Depot. And as you said, it was a shock to me when I became CEO. And it was a shock to everybody at Home Depot when I became CEO. And I wasn't very well prepared for it. And one of the things I did was I called Jack and I said, Would you give me a sort of CEO 101 training? And he did, he was very uh, generous with his time. And then every year for the next eight years I was CEO, I'd spend a day with Jack. And the last year, I asked him a question that I really didn't have the courage to ask before because it was such a kind of sophomore question. And I said, Okay, Jack, if you had to, Boil down all the attributes of leadership. What's the single most important characteristic that a leader needs to have to succeed? If you had to come up with one, one answer, and he said generosity. I think I looked shocked on my face because that wasn't the first word that came to mind with Jack. It was, you know, he was an intense person. He was tough, a very tough boss, and I hadn't thought of generosity. And so I said. Well, can you explain that? Because it wasn't obvious to me. And he said, every great leader is fueled by the success of the people who work for him or her. And then when I rewound the tape, I realized, yeah, that was absolutely true. I could see that. I could see how Jack actually cared about my success. And uh, that made an enormous difference. So that's I could talk on and on. I learned a lot of leadership lessons from Jack and from other people, but uh, yeah, he's, he was a great business leader.
0: Well, that ties into what you mentioned earlier, that it's about investing in the right people. You, This is one of yeah. the things that you've said. That's what success is, investing in the right people. Is it, is it really that simple? That's really the core thing that we should be doing in our organizations?
1: It may not be the be-all. It may not solve everything, but you don't get anywhere without it. I mean, my, um, look, it's simple and fairly obvious. We are all dependent on those around us and you will do better if the people around you believe that you're invested in their success. And if they see that you're invested in their success, they'll invest in your success and, or put it another way, why would they invest in your success if you're not going to invest in their success? And it's, is pretty basic but it's interesting how often people don't get that pretty basic concept
0: so let's let me get some personal coaching from you then for a moment if i could we are we are in the midst of what's been known as the great resignation coming out of covid yeah. just people going I'm, i gotta get out of here I, I need a change i gotta do something else the organization i lead crossroads is is no um that's my day job is is no different we have about I don't know 370 staff members or so and we've seen a high a good percentage of of turnover over the last year and a half like far exceeding anything we've we've had in the past. What would you say to that? okay if you're having more turnover than you want to have, it's because you're not doing this or it's because you probably are doing that or there are there key things you could speak into in the average culture? that's driving the great resignation. And I asked this aggressively because maybe you're gonna say something where I look like a turd and all the staff members are gonna come back to me and say, see, <laughs> you're not doing that, you're not doing that. So it's called the aggressive life. So I'm asking aggressive question. Yeah. I could be doing some things awful. And so teach me oh wise one with the orange apron.
1: Well, I'm, I'm sure there's not a lot I can teach you and congratulations on Crossroads, which is an amazing, amazing church. There is nothing specific to your organization There is nothing specific that you're not doing that you should be doing. Uh, COVID knocked a lot of folks off their bearings. And the combination of changing from, you know, a lot of people who had been going into an office every day, had been used to doing a particular thing every day, realized, gee, I I don't need to go anywhere. I can just stay at home and do something. Or, Or they realized that going into work presented some, you know, risks that they previously hadn't been aware of and they rethought what they were doing. I don't think there's anything you can do that addresses that. I do think that it goes away with time. I think we'll we'll start to normalize as the pandemic proceeds.
0: You don't think that th- that's encouraging to hear? Uh, before I give myself a j- get out of jail free card, mm-hmm. you know, back during the uh, you know the Great Recession of however many years ago that was, right. it seemed to be that standard business wisdom was that those businesses that struggled or went under were the weaker ones that were going to do that eventually anyway because they weren't led well. So, wouldn't it stand to reason? That those places that are having turnover is are just showing the weakness that they've always had all along?
1: Having gone through and having led Home Depot through the Great Recession, I think the situation is totally different. Hmm. Uh, again, the pandemic affected everyone. Some organizations like yours are very customer-facing, premised on, I'm going to be with people. I'm going to be around people. i chair of the board of Delta Airlines. It's, that's a very people-focused business. Same with the retail. If you were in, in you know, solely a high tech and people had never been coming into offices before, so COVID really wasn't much of a change, You know maybe then it could be differentiated to what you specifically were doing in your business. But I think the disruption in COVID was so dramatic across so much of our society we're only beginning to understand some of the implications of it. I, I just, I don't think it's a situation where you know the good businesses thrived through COVID and the bad businesses didn't because there were so many other factors, particularly the factor of how much you were out in public. How, what was the change in rhythm in your business that COVID uh, required? And I'm sure in your business it was significant.
0: Oh yeah, we've uh, yeah we've been impacted significantly. Uh, we're getting out of it, but it's kind of I, don't, I hesitate. I hesitate comparing the church world to the business world because the church isn't a business. But there are there are business principles in the church. You've got to balance your books. You know, you have payroll. You've got to figure all that stuff out, and. And just like in business, you want you, you want your church to be growing, and uh, you know we 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 took a significant hit over COVID, but you know we're growing right now, which is really all I care about. I, I, this is why I think people say, "Well, what were you we like pre COVID? Were you we like pre?" Who cares what we were like right. pre COVID? That's like right. saying what was your right. what was your max in high school? Who who right. cares what my maximum bench press was in high school? It's like right now, and am I growing right now? Not that I don't I don't do bench presses at all. I'm an old man. Not quite as old as you, but I'm an old man. But it's like <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, um, you know, I just, I don't like using COVID as an excuse for everything. It's like, oh, COVID, uh, oh, COVID, okay. Oh, it it right. just seems like that's the excuse for everybody. Or am I just trying to not see the, the depth and depravity and the difficulty that we've really gone through? Am I just in denial a little bit, Frank?
1: I, if I imagine myself in your shoes. For the last year and a half, again, it's getting better now, but for the last year and a half, there was not a decision you could make that would please your congregation of one side or the other side. And it seemed that everything became politicized. Very, you know, just sort of normal decisions uh, suddenly became very political and people started to be much more conscious of where they align on the political spectrum. I can't imagine that that didn't affect your your congregation. The world of faith was at the center of some of those problems and issues. That's a very unique set of circumstances that is completely different than a recession, um, just a different set of challenges. And I do think we're gonna work through them, but I just, I think if I if I think of the retail world, you start introducing a fissure, a, a split in the business of I got one set of people that I'm expecting every day to go out and be in front of the population at large. And then I got another set of people that don't even want to go into the office for fear of getting a disease. How do I reconcile those two things? Uh,
0: Frank, that's really, really helpful. Some things just click for me that I hadn't I hadn't actually made parallels with before. Uh, yeah, in churches, we found that our people are much more into ideology than theology. They're really into their political beliefs more than they are into what the Bible teaches. And then they back into finding something in the Bible that just emphasizes whatever they believe. And that's, that's kind of always right. been there to a degree. But what's happened, I think, during COVID is people's... Bandwidth for flexing emotionally has been squashed because everything is on them, and they can't live without having people think like them because they can't deal with the energy it takes to understand someone who thinks different. So, our church, um, we're kind of in the middle politically. When I say middle, we're we don't satisfy everyone on the far right, we don't satisfy everyone on the far left, and so it takes a Uh, a bit of thinking to think through that stuff. And uh, yeah, a lot of people just, hey man, they don't say this, but I need to go someplace where 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 I don't have to think about my beliefs politically. I just want to be affirmed with them. And with Home Depot, if I was leading Home Depot, I don't... I don't walk into Home Depot ever wondering, hey, does this CEO right. like Donald Trump or not? <laughs> right. Hey, does this, right. but when someone's right. coming to the church, like everything they hear me say, like, wait a minute, are you saying right. this? Wait a minute, do you mean
1: everything is so loaded and so difficult, it's insane? Uh, and and I just to double down on what I think the problem of communities of faith was that the response to the pandemic was politicized is that person wearing a mask because they're on the left wing am i not wearing a mask because i am i here because i'm not you know complying with some political requirement or am i here because i'm complying i mean it just very normal human decisions became politicized to a degree at least i found i live down here i live in georgia and things just got very politicized. And I feel like that was true through the rest of the country.
0: Well, yeah, it was awful. We, we took it on our, on our chin, many of us in churches. Unless you're okay. a church that's only reaching people who are on the left, which are yeah, only left or only reaching people who are on the right. I've interacted right. with some of those pastors. They're, they're gung-ho about how much they've grown. Yeah, you just, you just, you just consolidated everybody who thought like right. you. It's a whole right. different thing to reach right. people who are all over the map. So, and God bless those of you who are doing great, who are pastors who are listening. This is not a pastor podcast. I'm just bringing my day job into this. God bless you yeah. guys who are bench pressing a lot right now, and you're up against new organizational challenges. I'm just kind of lamenting a little bit, like, wow. But it's gotten better. I, f- I feel like, yeah, maybe, I think it's going
1: to normalize. Yeah, it's going to normalize.
0: And maybe I've built muscle mass that's that's dealing with attention a little bit more better, or maybe people are getting more emotional bandwidth so they're not reading into every decision. But I I do feel like it's getting better. Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's a product I use every day. I started taking AG1 because... I don't watch my diet too closely, but I know that I'm getting all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients I can, as well as hydrating with 12 ounces of water right off the bat at the beginning of the day. One scoop of AG1 has got 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, and it doesn't taste like it. It actually tastes great. AG1 is a microhabit with big benefits. For less than $3 a day, you can take care of your health and invest in your future. It's recommended by professional athletes, health experts, and me. (laughs) To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packets with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash aggressive life. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash aggressive life to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. So go get you some and let's get back to the show. Did you find during COVID that you were happy that you were on boards instead of in the CEO seat?
1: No, no. Uh, you know, there's a, there are pluses and minuses that go with each. I think you want to be when you're in that moment. And as I say, I'm very happy to be retired. But if I imagine myself not in the retirement mode, uh, you want to be in whatever position you can be in that you think where you can help the most.
0: But I would assume that the CEO job of Home Depot would be a lot more difficult than a board job.
1: For me, it was a 24-hour-a-day job, seven days a week. Hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Which a board role is now. Yeah. No, that's that was, that's kind of the point of retirement. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, um, right. it's, an exhausting, it's an exhausting job.
0: I know some guys who accidentally retired just before COVID. It was just brilliant. Yeah. It's just like accidentally, like I'm yeah. out, like awesome way to go. Now uh, I look back well, on that I'm, now, but I'm, I'm doing fine right now. I'm, I really am. I'm excited about the future. And when I hear you talk, I'm like, man, there's some good things there. You mentioned another thing. I didn't, I wasn't aware of until just now you're all, you're chairman of the board of Delta. That seems like a scary business to me. Airline industry.
1: Airlines are tough. It's a tough business. Yeah. I joke with uh, a bastion CEO all the time that selling table saws is a lot easier.
0: Well, let's talk about selling table saws because I'm, I'm very intrigued about a shift that you led home Depot through. And I've, I want to get some, I had some behind the scenes Intel from a mutual friend of ours, Clay Scroggins. Yeah. And that's why I thought, okay, I would like to hear some of this stuff directly from Frank Blake like to hear some of that directly from this guy. How did you lead Home Depot through, I'll just give open canvas before I ask you detailed questions. How have you, did you lead Home Depot through the digital revolution? What did that look like as a leader and in your traditional brick and mortar stores?
1: So first uh, it's a, I think it's a, it's such a great question. COVID has underscored it, but the movement and societally more and more of a digital uh, presence is, is, you know, it's unmistakable. Back in 2007, 2008, maybe not so much, but had the benefit of seeing that we really didn't need any more Home Depots. Uh, We have a lot, we have over 2,000 Home Depots in the United States. We got a Home Depot, I'm sure, pretty close to you, pretty close to almost everybody in the country. So we stopped building new stores, and that was a dramatic shift. And when we stopped building new stores, uh, that allowed us to focus on what I was viewing as our principal competitor, which was Amazon, and how to make sure that we were as good an answer for our customer as possible on the digital perspective. And it required an enormous mindset change. Everybody used to get their weekly newspaper. And on Thursday and Friday, there'd be, and uh, Thursday and Sunday, rather, there'd be inserts. So you'd have little circulars. And <laughs> oh, that's, wow. how, that's how you market it. You don't it's like you're talking
0: it. to me about corded phones right now. that right, are attaching exactly. to the wall. Exactly. I, I remember exactly. those days. Wow. Exactly.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so it was an opportunity for us to change the mindset, to get away from the circulars, do uh, you know, build up a real web presence, change leadership concepts. Um, it's it was both threatening to the organization, but enormously energizing at the same time.
0: So, what kind of pushback did you get internally on this? What fueled you to keep doing this? Because I've found that. You know, organizations that I'm interacting with, most of which are churches, people are very, very resistant to the digital conversation, very, very resistant to additional resources being put into their online presence, very, very resistant to structuring their their church for this reality, uh, massively. And I'll give some of our right. story in a little bit, but how did how did you how did you move an organization to shift and even like describe for us, like what did shifting look like for Home Depot?
1: Yeah, I mean, first off, such a such a great question. And, you know, people are sincere in their concerns and the most obvious initial concern put aside, this isn't what we've usually done, which is the dominant concern. But then you get to other levels of concern, which is we've got all this investment in brick and mortar. And if we, uh, lean into our online presence. We're going to be taking people away from our brick and mortar. Uh, in I don't want to analogize too much between retail and your world, but in the retail world, it was, well, no, we we don't want to be selling online. We want to sell in the store. And what you realize and what every, every analysis uh, reinforces is that In our case, customers, your case may be parishioners, but in our case, customers, it's not an either or, it's both. What you're trying to do is get something that's as positive an experience for the customer as you possibly can. And you can't ignore the fact that modern world's changing and people have phones, people have desktops, and that's how they're conducting business in life. But they'll still go into stores. My guess is they still go into churches. They still want the physical presence, but often that digital presence is more convenient. You know, you sort of go through these this transformation. You start with, we take our circular and we digitize. It. And then you realize, well, that's pretty lame. The problem with this circular is we'll put a faucet for the sake of discussion in the May circular but you might not be looking at a project that requires a faucet or you're looking for vial flooring. And that isn't in the circular in May. When you're online, we show everything. So if you're interested in a faucet, we show you all the faucets we have. If you're interested in vinyl flooring, we show you all the vial flooring you have. So then you start to realize, gee, this is a great vehicle for displaying to our customers everything that we have. The selling element is actually the typical website, less than 4% of customers actually buy when they're online. They'll go into the stores, they'll check it around, et cetera, et cetera. I suspect the same is true in your world too, that I, I, won't, I won't presume to get into what your world looks like, but I think your version is the same way. There are things that Gee, it would be convenient to understand what the church does if that were digital, and I still want to go into the church.
0: Well, I think that was the beginning of the digital revolution, which everybody embraced. <clears throat> I mean, the right. very, very beginning is probably nineteen ninety eight. Right. Nineteen ninety eight, when churches said, "Okay, let's get a web page." It wasn't that long ago. Nineteen ninety eight, we need to get a web page. But that was just like saying, "Well, let's." Take out White a billboard pages. ad. You know, yeah. it's, it's,
1: White pages are billboards. Yeah, yeah, right. It was, exactly. just, it was very static.
0: But where it is now, or where, where it got to, was you now people are choosing to stream or watch their device instead of coming into the building. And that's really, really tough for, for two reasons. At least you've got to figure out theologically are you okay with this? this idea that people are worshiping and being taught? when they're not around other people. And then two, the problem is you've got an organization that's used to seeing full rooms or at least rooms that have a certain mass in them. And you've hired people to fill those rooms and they don't like it when their people aren't coming to their rooms, our campuses, our 10 campuses, they don't like when people aren't coming to their rooms and hearing streaming at home. And in fact, I don't want people who likes seeing empty rooms. <laughs> if I, right. I paying people to have empty rooms and they're okay with that, I got the wrong people at the beginning. So there's just there's just the level of, um, and I think I'm speaking for a lot of pastors right now at Crossroads, we're kind of a few steps ahead of this. So I could maybe share some of our stuff on this, but there's just a lot of consternation about this. Where we're just like, eh, I don't know that I like this. What would you say to us?
1: The first thing I'd say is, Just like I was talking about with the faucet and the vinyl floor, uh, one of the things that the digital presence allows you is to interact with your customer base or parishioner base in the need state that's most important for them at the moment. That should, and I think will lead to greater engagement with the physical presence of the church. So if I take just for an example, I got somebody looking for a faucet, somebody looking for vinyl floor. I got somebody on your website, on a church's website, somebody who's going through divorce, somebody who's going through grief, somebody who's at the beginning of a spiritual journey, somebody who's approaching death. I've got untold numbers of need states, and I now have an opportunity to understand where you are and meet you where you are with the resources that you have. I suspect that that's the difference for your world. For the sake of discussion, I am going. I am going through a difficult grieving process, and I go into church, and I'm going to be listening to a sermon, and the message may or may not relate to the crisis of the crisis of faith that I'm going through at the moment. I mean, it's it's a bit of a happenstance, right? Digitally, I can have a index of what's been spoken to on that topic that would be helpful to me. If I go through the door to go to a Sunday sermon and I am in grief, it's unlikely I'm going to stop and talk to anybody about that. But imagine I'm on a website and imagine that the website actually engages me with my need state and the church has, as I'm sure yours has, Phenomenal resources, but I don't know about it. I'm not going to ask when I walk into the physical press. But if I do know about it, and I do know, you know, if you go and talk, talk to Brian or talk to Brian's, this person on Brian's team, who just is a wonderful resource on this, people have written down, I can't believe I was so downhearted. I was so despairing. And I talked with so-and-so and he or she was so helpful to me. Uh, to me, that's just such a richer engagement and such richer opportunity, and that yeah. is. Amen. Anyway, I'll stop talking because I don't know what I'm talking about, but that's that's sort of what happened on the retail side. No, you
0: know what you're talking about. That's why I wanted you on here. We're we're measuring things in terms of engagement. Showing right. up in a building, giving are two signs of engagement, but so is. Are you serving someplace? Are you in community someplace? Are you telling your story? Are you these seven key indicators for engagement um, that go beyond the the ones we've, right. we've we've normally had and I think that's where a lot of people are struggling is we're not able to see the macro view of how digital helps us to do those things we're just still grieving that our rooms aren't as, aren't as full but at home Depot you're your stores aren't as full of people yeah. either, but your profits have skyrocketed. How yeah. did that, how would that feel for your employees?
1: I it's it's um as I said, I think I think it's always better as you become as you can do more. The way I would phrase it, the more you can do for your customer, the better. The more you can do for your employees, the better. So, uh, and I think digital is a key enabler of that. We can do things for our customers now that we never could have done 15 years ago. That helps our employees as well.
0: Well, you said something earlier that I wrote down, like, this is really, I haven't this clearly. You said we don't need any more Home Depots. And um, in Cincinnati, where we started Crossroads, we're in a few cities outside of Cincinnati, but to all of our Cincinnati folks, it's still the very core of our church, the largest percentage of our people are in Cincinnati. We haven't stated we don't need any more crossroads in Cincinnati. We got like six of them in Cincinnati. We got enough. Right. We don't, right. we don't that's really fresh verbiage. At some point, I hope to get there in our other cities, but I think that the digital stuff, what we're learning is we're just generally going to be much less building-centric. I just had a uh, that's one of the funny, funnest service we do. We, we bring in wild horses and we train them on stage. Whoa, yeah, right. Whoa, Whoa is right. It's a, not we. I have a friend of mine who I hunted elk with who does this whole thing about the connection between humans and horses. Horses were the very first right? animal that we ever domesticated. We worked with actually before the before dogs. People use horses. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, this is why there's horse such thing as horse therapy or equine therapy, because yeah. horses have an ability to pick up on our emotions. It's really, really odd. So Todd was a former former uh, professional Bronco rider. And he then became a literal, legitimate horse whisperer. And he does this whole thing where the thing, he treats horses and he can break a horse inside of 50 minutes. It would take somebody else, you know, a long, long time to do. And the reason is he sees his relationship to that horse the way God's relationship is to us. And so it's the second time he did it. He's never done it inside of a building, uh, inside of a church. He said, every church says this, no one wants to do it. Like, okay, we'll be the first. <laughs> we t- I came came back and said, look, we're going to do this. You can figure out whether or not, whether or not we're going to tell insurance or not, but we're going to do this. It's called the aggressive life. We're going to do this. So we had him last year. No one's happening. Knew it was going to happen. 40 foot ring. This is all backstory to my original point here. Sorry. Hang in there with me. Frank Blake. No, I
1: love this. Uh, this is amazing.
0: So he's got a 40 foot. He said, we didn't 40-foot uh, ring. I said, we can do that on our broadcast campus. We can do it. we got 3,500 seats in a big old stage. It's 180 degrees. We can do that. So, okay, gosh. So we, we get this horse in, foot of sand, 40-foot ring on the stage. The band plays while he does this thing throughout the whole thing. And people were just mesmerized, like balling all over the place. Just boo-hoo, balling, right? But everyone was surprised. We said, hey, His thing's gonna happen. They're like, Oh, yeah, right. Then we got picketed. Animal rights people thought we were abusing horses and all that stuff. And it went out really well. This year, we didn't have any picketers. We had them come in again. This now goes to my point. I had people coming up to me uh, from like Chicago. We don't have any churches in Chicago. We're never gonna have a church in Chicago. Saying, so, like, I saw this online last, last year. I said, This has become my church. I needed to come. We now have people who are driving in from other cities who are part of our church wow. digitally, but wow. every once in a while, they say, I need to get to my church physically. Exactly.
1: I need to feel it. I right. need to experience it. it happened with Absolutely. our Super Bowl
0: service. It's happening with our Easter. And I'm just saying, I'm saying to our folks, I think we finally crossed over. We're not, we don't have staff members grieving this any longer, at least staff members who are in our sites. Like, hey, hey, this is a good thing. And in fact, your people are still, they might not be coming in your buildings, but they're still engaged with our church because when they're not coming in the building, they still feel they're part of our church. You cracked yep. that nut though at Home Depot. Yeah.
1: Yep. Well, well done for you. That's brilliant. And, and you can see how that will build over time. And you can see how there are different things that you can do with your building that are going to be more engaging for different kinds of people. Absolutely. Yep. And That's brilliant.
0: And there's churches and voices that people have in their ministries that there might not even be a critical mass of people in your area for that, but there is across the country and they can be part of your thing. You know, exactly. one of the things I heard that you did and blow this out, which I think was a brilliant leadership move. You chose, correct me if I'm wrong. You chose to double count. So you chose to give credit to increasing sales, to the stores that were in that area, even though people were buying their stuff online, you gave a win to them and you gave a win to your people who were designed the web page who were driving up traffic. Both people won instead of just one person winning. Can you describe that for me?
1: You described it exactly right, Brian. And it was an early on, that was one of, so as you start to, as we started to do this on the retail side at Home Depot, you get lots of objections. And one of the early objections is if I'm working in a store, every person that I refer online, I'm losing my sale. I mean, it felt like it's a loss to me. The entire organization thrives when both the store and online are thriving. You want people to share both ways. So, you, you need to make your incentives align with your words and so that's what we did so you got you got sales attribution whether it was in the store or online
0: and that's what we've done we've um we have now we give our community pastors strokes for how their church is growing based on how many people in their zip codes are right. tuning in you know and right.
1: then perfect <laughs> it's exactly right it's exactly in my opinion It's exactly right.
0: We've had an increasing number of people who the very first time they come to church is when they get baptized and they're literally, literally two miles away from our original largest (laughs) campus. And the first time they come is when they're getting baptized. That's That's funny. It's crazy. It really is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But my guess is a lot of those folks wouldn't have come otherwise. That was the journey that they felt comfortable.
0: Yeah. Obviously.
1: Yeah.
0: So Frank, let me just push on you a little bit here. Time for you and I to disagree with something, disagree about something. Right. Are you ready for it? Yeah. Frank Blake, Frank, you tell people that you really weren't interested in becoming CEO. You didn't have that as a goal. Really? Come on now. Come on. You're, 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 you're reporting to Jack Welsh and you don't want to become CEO. What
1: the, the describe or defend yourself. Uh, well, it's, 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 I'll give the description. I don't the defense is just it's true um so <laughs> i uh i'm a lawyer by training and i left being a lawyer to do uh as i said earlier mergers and acquisitions so i did deals i did deals for ge and and with deals you run a very small team they're all highly motivated it's not a p&l it's not a profit loss business it's you know, it's like a project. And I was doing that as well at Home Depot. And when the board called me and said, uh, we'd like you to be the new CEO, my I can honestly say that even a nanosecond before that call, it had never occurred. I never, wow. never spent any time saying, what would I do if I were running this place? It was not what I thought would ever happen. And in fact, I did. I not expect it, but nobody in Home Depot expected. Wow! Uh, you could, and if you read the press around that time, there was a lot of press around it because it was a lot of notoriety and all the rest. No one thought it. No one thought it. In fact, the guy who hired me at GE wasn't Welch. It was the vice chairman, a wonderful person named Larry Bossidy, who then ran Honeywell and was very successful. Larry Bossidy called my lead director, Ken Langone, one of the founders of Home Depot, when this was announced and said, uh, I bet $10,000 this guy doesn't make it six months. Mm. So it was, I didn't expect it and the rest of the organization didn't expect it either.
0: Why did they tap you if you had, hadn't had any articulated <laughs> desires?
1: That's a, that's a great question. I don't know. I, uh, I've, I've resisted asking um <laughs> <laughs> I I uh, I'm glad they did. My my answer to them was you need to take a day and think about it and think about whether you don't need somebody with more retail experience. And I need to spend a day thinking about whether I can do it, whether I have the skill set to do it. Obviously, they decided to go forward and I decided I could do it. So but yeah, no, it had not been not been in my contemplation set.
0: That throws a real wrench in the whole if you can believe you can achieve cult that we have in our culture of you've always got to have a next thing, you've always got to be shooting for the top, you've always got to – and here you got the top and you never envisioned it. You didn't even want it. Maybe, maybe the learning is I should just be great at what I'm doing right now or what? What's the, what's the macro learning?
1: I'm a believer in that. As a macro learner, I'm a, I look, I don't want to discount anybody who set objectives and is trying to get an objective. uh, And I don't, you know, there are lots of phenomenal leaders who say, this is what I've always wanted to do. I feel like I'm a good person for people to talk to who wonder if they can lead organizations because I ended up leading an organization of over 400,000 people. I studied really hard. Uh, i thought a lot about leadership none of it was came you know pre-packaged so this stuff can be learned you put your mind to it and your heart to it uh, you can you can succeed so i as i say i don't i don't discount setting big goals and getting them but there's also an importance to doing your job well and then paying attention to what's going on around you so let's, uh, let's come down the
0: final lap. We're, we're around the, around the final turn, rather, of the last lap. Let me just kind of give you some topics and let you, let you riff on them as long as you want. I oftentimes call this the lightning round. Got to do it quick, but I don't want you to do anything Got too it. quick because everything you've said has just been really, really great. This is really solid. So here we go. Uh, you, one of your quotes is, you get what you celebrate. Talk about that.
1: This is the most important thing I learned at uh, at Home Depot, and and it didn't come naturally because I wasn't I'm you know I'm a lawyer by training. You don't do a lot of celebratory things with other lawyers. Uh, <laughs> but what you learned, what I learned is, if you think about changing an organization and think about how you do that, one of the ways you do it, and this frankly I learned, I have a great story about. I learned this from Andy Stanley. I'm flying back from the board meeting where I was made chair and it was a very stressful, I mean, it was just a really stressful meeting. And I would just, my mind was fritzed. And I wanted to watch a movie, but there was no, and this was in a Home Depot plane. So I'm in company plane. I wanted to watch a movie, and there was no movie, but my wife who at the time was going to North Point had a DVD of uh, messages from Andy Stanley. So I put this DVD in. And he's talking about how you make vision stick. And one of the concepts that he talks about is the way you make vision stick is you live the vision, you, live, you articulate it, you give a story around it, you live it yourself, and you celebrate and recognize others who do it. I work for Jack Welch. I work for three presidents of the United States. I work for a Supreme Court justice. I've worked with some extraordinary people. And I thought this was some of the best leadership advice I'd ever heard. And for the next eight years, I set about just saying, I know what I want to do. I know where I want to move the organization. And every chance I get, I'm going to celebrate the people who are living stories of that vision. And every Sunday, I would spend half my day Sunday writing handwritten notes to hourly associates who had done Great things. Dear Joe or Jane, I understand you did that in the store. I love you Frank. I anytime I went into a store, I'd, take, you know, you do the little selfie, I'd say your photo is going to go on the wall of my office. Anytime you or your family comes by to Atlanta, you're welcome to look at your photo on the wall of my office. And on and on things like that. And it is and it works. People respond to someone saying literally or figuratively, let me bring you up on the stage and explain to everybody the amazing thing you've done.
0: Great. Another thing you've said is that optimism is what drives an organization.
1: That's pretty much a straight and not very good uh, stealing from Colin Powell, whose phrase is optimism is a force multiplier. I believe it. Every leader's job is you're radiating out, you you radiate out to your organization. Best if you're radiating out optimism, it's a force multiplier.
0: Well, I think this is why, i just speak to my own quote unquote industry for a moment. I think this is what's been so hard for a lot of people in, the, in church work is there hasn't been a lot to be optimistic about it. Sure. Uh, in fact, even before COVID, a lot of pastors and churches think their thing is to just talk about the bad news and divide and conquer and talk about how bad things are and this and that. And you're not getting forced multiplication. You're actually getting force. Right. What's the optimal multiplication? division. You division. Know? <laughs> it's right. just who wants to come to church or be around a person that's reminding me how crappy things are.
1: Right. We've got to be
0: purveyors no. of hope.
1: Absolutely.
0: I follow a God who apparently, so they say, he rose from the dead. I mean, that's that's pretty crazy. That, that That's like the right. core. That's, that's like the, about
1: as force multiplying as you can get.
0: Right. And it's and it's the one belief I can never turn back on. I won't go back on. That is the one belief that separates somebody who's a believer from someone who isn't a believer. It's the one belief that separates somebody from hope who doesn't have hope. We should be the most optimistic people there are because if Jesus got literally raised from the dead and the Bible says the same spirit that raised him from the dead can give life to my mortal body, why in the world am I so down the mouth and just seeing how bad things are, how this thing isn't, thing isn't going the right way. Dudes, come on. Well, there's
1: the exclamation point. Right. There it is. It doesn't there make it sense. Yeah.
0: We're purveyors yeah. of good news and hope, not purveyors of bad news. Yeah. Frank, this
1: has that been awesome. Have been. You, ought to, you ought to stop it right there. I that's am going to yeah.
0: stop it right there just because I uh-huh. told you I'd take an hour and we've taken an uh-huh. hour. You
1: oh, that's a perfect statement too, Brian. It's just the perfect statement.
0: Well, Frank, you've, uh, you've said since retirement that you've gone on, quote unquote, a journey of generosity. We just got some of your de- generosity with an hour's worth of wisdom and empathy and insight. Dude, seriously, freaking, freaking awesome last no, hour. You, One of my favorite ever.
1: Well, I really appreciate it. This was great. And congratulations to every, on everything you're doing. Yeah. Really extraordinary. Thank you, Frank.
0: Frank, if anyone wants to follow up with you or your you got your own budding podcast, you got a bunch of other things I that are do. happening on. Go ahead, give an advertisement for yourself because you've uh, you've you've built into us a lot. We'd like to be around you more often.
1: So, so uh really the best way is uh, I do have a podcast. It's called Crazy Good Turns. You can get it, you know, on all the podcast platforms. And the podcast is about uh people who do great things for other people. I am always in awe of people who devote their lives to bettering the lives of others. And we tell great stories about people. Well,
0: that's very, very cool. Well, Frank, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to want you on The Aggressive Life again sometime in the future if you're going to be generous again, because this has been great for me
1: awesome. And again, congratulations.
0: Thank you. No, you're welcome, Frank. Well, here you go. There you go, boys and girls. Look, we got another episode here. You just met with a titan in industry, a titan in generosity, a titan in vision. Do something different here. Lead a different way. Build into your top people. Get yourself, your mind out of the gutter and look for hope that God can use you and go forward. Man, Frank Blake dropping the freaking bomb on us. Frank, Blake. Love that name. <laughs> love, every, <laughs> love everything he said. We'll see you next time on Thank The you, Aggressive Life. You're welcome, brother. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to Tome.com. Find my new book, Move, A Guide to Get Up and Go Forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, Why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.